We are on the Mishnah on Chagiga Yura Amar Aleph, Chagiga 10A1 in the Art School Gemaras, up to the last Mishnah of this parak, of this chapter. We have basically this week and a little bit of next week till we complete the first chapter, which is very exciting. This Mishnah is uh, discusses a different topic than the other Mishnahs that we've had so far. And it only somewhat connects to the overall topic of Chagiga, of the Korban Chagiga. Uh, and we'll, we'll see the Mishnah right now. The Mishnah says, So as an introduction, we have the written Torah. The written Torah discusses a lot. It discusses a lot of the commandments, but it doesn't discuss the commandments in its entirety. And it doesn't discuss every single commandment. Some some commandments or parts of the commandments are not explicit and not even hinted to in the to- in the written Torah. And that is because we also have an oral Torah. We have the Torah Sheba Al-Peh, the oral Torah, which is what a lot of the Talmud discusses. Now, the oral Torah, some of it is derivations, different ways to derive laws from the written Torah based on how it's written and connections of words. Some of it is just hints to that are found in the Torah, but it's not a, it's not based on a, a, a on a guide of how to derive laws of a specific guide in terms of how to interpret and uh, derive laws from various commandments. But it's hinted to at the Torah, and then you have some laws where it's not even found in the Torah at all. It's purely in the written Torah at all. It's purely from the oral Torah, completely from the oral Torah. It was basically given to Moshe at Mount Sinai, at Harsinai, and passed down from generation to generation. And so this Mishnah is going to discuss some of the laws and whether they are found in the Torah, somewhat found in the Torah, not found at all in the Torah. And the first example is annulling vows. There's a concept of making a vow, a binding vow, uh, a legally binding vow. When, when you make a promise, when you make a vow, and it's binding... You are you have the ability to get out of it. One of the ways to get out of it is by going to a sage, one or three, and declaring that I didn't know, I didn't realize about what would happen in the future. I only made my vow under certain conditions. Something changed, either circumstances changed or I wasn't aware of the circumstance. And so... Because something changed, I want to annul my vow. And that works. You're allowed to go to a sage and he could annul your vow. The Mishnah here says that there's no source for this in the Torah. We don't have a source for this in the Torah, in the written Torah, but it's purely from the Torah Shabal Pet. It's, it's from given to Moshe at Mount Sinai and passed down from generation to generation. That is one uh, area of of halacha that's discussed in the Mishnah, it's Nadarma annulling vows, which is not found in the Torah. There's an interesting commentary comment by uh, the Orachayim Hakadosh, who is one of the commentators on the Chumash, who explains why is this true? Why why is why don't we have it in the written law? And he explains because we have to take our words seriously, and we have to take our certainly our vows seriously. And what we, the way we speak is something that we can't just uh, take lightly. It's a very, it's a very serious. Our words mean something, and so we didn't want the written Torah to say explicitly that you have the ability to backtrack. You have the ability to take it back, even though legally you do, halachically you do have the ability to take it back. 
but we didn't want it to be in the written Torah. And so therefore it was just passed down orally so that we make sure that you take your words seriously. That is the first third of the Mishnah. The next group of halachos, Hilchel Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, Chagigos, which is why we're mentioning this Mishnah in particular, Chagigos, the Chagigo offering, the Hameilos and Meila. Meila is, is desecrating uh, objects that were consecrated for the base of Migdash, for the temple. If you use it for some secular, non-holy purpose, so then that is a prohibition of Meila. And the, this is again, this is the Mishnah. The Gemara is going to uh, flesh a lot of this out and will explain a lot of this. But again, we have these three cases. We have the laws of Shabbos, the laws of the Chagiga, and the laws of Meila, where you use uh, objects or money that, were, that was designated for the base of Mikdash improperly. Hareheim kaharim hatluyin bisa'ara. So what is this? These are like mountains suspended by a hair. Mountains in the plural, suspended by a hair. Why? Shehin mikra muat v'halachos merubos. Because they entail many laws. There are a lot of laws. These are the many mountains. There's a lot of laws involved in the laws of Shabbos, in the laws of Chagiga, as we've been studying, and in the laws of Meila. But there's very few psukim, very few verses that discuss it. So there are some psukim, some verses that discuss it. And that's the hair, but they're hanging, they're holding on, to, they're hanging the mountain. So the mountain is being held up by a, by, a, by a thread of hair. It's suspended by a thread of hair. So a lot of it is not found in the written Torah, but there is something written in the written Torah. That's the next stage. The final grouping is Hadinim, monetary law. Va'avodos, or sacrificial services, I assume other than the Chagiga, but other sacrifices... Hataharos v'atumos, laws of purity and impurity, v'arayos, and illicit sexual relations, yeshlehen amashim sechu v'hein hein gufei Torah. They really are sourced. They are essentially completely sourced in the written Torah, and they, unless is found it with regards to the oral Torah, with regards to that grouping. So again, we have three different categories. One is where it is not found really in the written Torah. It's purely from passed down Orally, the second category are laws, Shabbos, Chagiga, Me'ila. These are laws where they are mostly found in the oral Torah, but you do have some parts of the law which are found in the written Torah. And then the last grouping is where it's almost completely found in the written Torah. These are monetary laws, uh, sacrificial laws, and laws of purity and impurity, and also illicit relationships. Okay. That is the end of the Mishnah. So again, this Mishnah is really fundamental in terms of understanding the passing down of the Mesorah, of the tradition of the laws, that it's not purely the written law, but it's really the oral law. A lot, a lot stems from the oral law, and you can't even find it in the written law, and it's, the two go hand in hand. They're very much necessary, one with the other. So the Gemara is going to go through each, uh, each category of laws um, independently, and we'll analyze each one. So the first one is Nadarm. Nadarm is, again, where you where you annul your vows by going to a sage and explaining to that sage that you didn't realize what you meant, uh, that you didn't realize that there would be, that circumstances would come up in which uh, it's really difficult for you to fulfill the vow that you've taken upon yourself, that you're able, the sage could annul your vow. And the Mishnah said that there's no source for this. Now we are going to see now in the Gemara, I believe one, two, 
three, I believe, five different sources which seem to apply against the Mishnah, and that there really is support, some support from the Psukim, from the verses, albeit it's not so uh, obvious from the verses, but there is some sort of hint to this idea from the verses. And they're gonna, the Gemara will now suggest five different, I believe, five different sources um, for this idea. So the Gemara says, Tanya, it was taught in a b'risa. Rabbi Lezer, Omer, Rabbi Lezer says, turning the page to 1082 in the article of Gemara is, they really have something to rely upon. It's not explicit, but they have something to rely upon that is found somewhat in the written Torah. Twice does it use the word yafli, which is to make clear, to utter clearly, with regards to vows, with regards to making vows. Why does it say twice in two different verses? One is a clear utterance to make a vow, to say that uh, vow that you are forbidden to something or to make some sort of vow. And another one is to clearly utter something so that it becomes permissible to you to annul the vow, that you have to clarify with the sage the circumstances of why you made the vow and why things have changed in order for you to annul the vow. So the fact that it uses the word twice tells us that once is to say that you have to clearly uh, pronounce a vow and also that you could annul a vow if you do so clearly. That is the first source. Second source, Rabbi Shua Omar, Rabbi Shua says, there is, a, there is support in the Torah, albeit it's not clear. Hashem says, with regards to the Jewish people, when the Jewish people were in the desert, after they've committed the sin of the golden calf, that he swore with his anger that they're never going to go back to their resting place. That I've sworn that they're, that they're never going to go to their resting place. Tosfos, one of the class commentators, explains that the resting place is referring to uh, Olam Haba, that, they'll have a, that they won't have a place in the world to come, and that he, Hashem retracted from it. He was able to go back on it. And if Hashem is able to go back on His promise, on His vow, that the people who committed the sin of the golden calf, that they'll be able to... He, he promised that they won't get Olam Haba, they won't get a portion of the world to come, and now He allows it, so then if Hashem could do it, so then we could also do it. This is source number three. It says, All who have a willing heart. That they have a willing heart. And Rashi explains that if they still have... It's in, it's in the present tense. That if you if you currently desire to keep it, with this is with regards to donating uh, funds to, to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle, that if you if you have that desire, so then you keep your promise. But if you regret it, so then we will let you take it back. And so that is source number three. Chanana ben Achi Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Chanana, the nephew of Rabbi Yeshua says, Yeshlehemamashiyismuchu, they have a, 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 a verse in the written Torah to rely upon, Shinamar, as the verse says, Nishpati vakayema lishmar mishpatei tzid kecha. This is found in Tehillim. That it says that I swear, I swear and I will keep. Why does it say I will keep? Because if you don't want to keep it, there's a way out. It's if you, you only have to fulfill it if you swear and you want to you want to keep it. But if there is a way way out, there's some reason why you regret why you made that vow and circumstances have changed. So then we let you annul that vow. So that is the fourth, I believe, the fourth source for such an idea. Comes the fifth one. Amr, those are all from Tanaim, uh, from the time period of the Mishnah. 
The fifth one is from an Amora. It's from somebody from the times of the Gemara, a later time period, not from the times of the Mishnah. Amar Vita Mishmol. Shmuel says he's from a later generation. If I were there, if I were living at that time with them, I would have quoted a better verse. My, my source is better than theirs. As the verse says, There is a prohibition. Once you take a vow, you cannot make it profane. You cannot undo the vow. And so Shmuel says, He doesn't have the right to make it profane, to, annul, to get rid of it. But if you bring it to a sage, other people, the sage has the ability to annul it. If you have a good reason as to why you want to annul it, so then the sage can annul it. You can't do it, but others can do it. And that is the fifth source for this idea. Okay, so again, we have five sources. The first one is because it says to, make, to recite clearly twice. It repeats the, the word twice. The second time it says because Hashem swore in his anger and he retracted from it. The third one is because it says that that when you have a willing heart, so then you can bring donations to the tabernacle, to the Mishkan, but it's only if you currently have a willing heart, not if you back out of it. The fourth one is because I, the verse says in Tehillim that I took, I, I, I have sworn and I will fulfill. It's only if you want to fulfill it. If you don't want to fulfill it, you can back out. And then the fifth one comes from Shmuel that it says that you're not allowed to make your vows profane, but others have the ability to annul them. The Gemara now is going to show how the first four, there are there are serious questions with the first four, and only the last one, the one of Shmuel, doesn't have a question. Amarava, Lukulu, Islu, Pircha, for all them, there are, these are questionable sources. Lebar Mishmuel, the Islu, Pircha, sorry, the last lay Pircha. But except for Shmuel, the last one, that doesn't have a question on it. The other ones do have questions on them. So let's go through, let's go through uh, each of them. The first one that says that it says kiyafli twice, that it says that if you utter clearly twice, that it teaches you that you could also nullify if you do clearly. Maybe we need it for the following teaching. The Tanya, as it was taught in a Brisa from the time periods of the Mishnah. He says that maybe we derive the following ruling from the fact that it says it twice. That let's say you have two people that are sitting down, the third person walks, walks across. So one person says, I will be a Nazir. We've had Nazir in the past. The Nazir is somebody who uh, is not going, it's a form of a vow where they're not going to drink wine or cut their hair or touch a dead body. And they say, if that third person who's walking by is a Nazir, I'll also be a Nazir. And the other person says, well, if he's not a Nazir, then I'll be a Nazir. So one of the two will end up becoming a Nazir. It just depends. You have to know the status of this third person who's walking by. And we don't know the status of the third person walking by. However, the ruling is, is that neither one becomes a Nazir. Why? Because since at the time that they made the vow, they did not uh, know with certainty that they were becoming a Nazir, that they were becoming this person who was taking upon this vow. So therefore, it's not valid. The vow only works if it's clear that at the time that you're taking the vow, that it is actually true, that, the, that, that you're accepting upon yourself a vow. If it's depending upon information that you need to know in the future, so then the vow is not valid. And that's why it says that it has to be clear. It mentions it twice, that it has to be clear to teach you this rule. So it doesn't prove to us that you can annul your vows through a sage. What about the second source? The second source, again, is from... Hashem saying that I swore with anger and I could take it back. Maybe it's just to teach us that 
doesn't say it doesn't say in the verse that Hashem could take it back. It just says that Hashem swore in anger. Who said that he swore in anger and therefore he has the right to take it back? Maybe he can't take it back. The third source, Rabbi Yitzchak said, based on those that come to the Mishkan with a willing heart, that in the present they have to has to be willing, but not if they regret it. Maybe it's coming to go against Shmuel. Maybe the Rabbi Yitzchak, maybe the reason why it says with a willing heart, emphasis on the heart is to exclude a ruling of Shmuel. What did Shmuel say? He says that in order to make a proper oath, a proper vow, you have to it has to you have to word it. It has to come out of your lips. It can't be in the heart, but you have to verbalize it. But maybe the verse of Kol Nadiv Libo that anybody with a willing heart, the the reason why it mentions that phrase is to teach you that against this opinion of Shmuel, that really. You could take a vow even if it's without verbalizing it, just purely in your heart. And that's why it mentions it, but not to teach us this ruling that you can annul vows. So that's rejection of source three. Now, rejection of source four. What about the source that Hananiah, the nephew of Rabbi Yeshua, quoted, in which he said that it's because the verse says, I will swear and I will fulfill, that I don't have to fulfill. Maybe it's like Rav Gidal Amrav, Rav Gidal Amrav, it's a mitzvah. How do I know that you could take a you could take a shvua, you could take a vow to fulfill a mitzvah? It's a little strange to take a vow to fulfill a mitzvah. You already are obligated in the mitzvah, and yet how do we know that there's a concept of taking a vow, putting an additional obligation upon yourself that that actually means something, that that allows you to it works that vow works? Why should it work? You already the obligation is already upon you because it's a mitzvah. But no, it does work based on this verse. Because it says, I have sworn and I will fulfill. Meaning, I have sworn on something that I'm already have an obligation in, in the mitzvah. And so this, this verse is not teaching you that you can annul vows, but it's teaching you that you can take a vow on something which is already an obligation, i.e. a mitzvah, a commandment. But Shmuel, the last source of Shmuel, that doesn't have a question. Finally, to conclude the Gemara, Amar Rava Bisema Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Rava says, and some say Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak said this. This is what it, the popular saying goes that Tavachada Pilpata Charifta Mimulei Tzane Dikari. Better is it one sharp pepper than a basket full of melons. We had a whole basket full of melons. We had four different sources to prove that the concept of annulling vows exists in the Torah. We rejected all four. We were left only with the one source of Shmuel. And he is a sharp pepper. So better the sharp pepper than a basket full of melons. We will continue with the Gemara in the next recording.